As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Um, I know it's tough, especially through the summer, to keep track of, uh, of going through a book of the Bible like this. So I do, I do want to give you just a little bit of a review of where we've been and where we are. So if you haven't been able to join us, or if this is your first time or something like that, you'll, you can get looped in a little bit uh, to what we've done. So this, this letter is, uh, is written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And it's been sent out, uh, you know, shortly after the, I mean, well, decades after, but not that long, historically after Jesus had ascended. And it's sent out to Christians, um, and some of these are Jewish people who'd accepted that Jesus was forecast for them in the Old Testament scriptures. And some of these are new believers who have come to believe in their message through their witness. And they are spread kind of out to the edges of the Roman Empire, and Peter's writing to encourage and invest in them and to see their faith grow um, and to see them understand who they are as a church. And I feel this book gets very practical into what the church should be. Um, as I said just a second ago, it's practical for us who, are, who, are, who have been in the church to consider, but also very practical for those who are considering you know, if they want to be a part of a church um, or if they want to follow Jesus to consider. Because wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know if you're interested in being a Christian, what should a Christian community uh, look like and why, and, and even understand why it doesn't always look the way that it should. So um, I know, as is often the case, that many of us have had bad experiences in churches. This is just a reality. Um, and it's helpful to understand sometimes, why'd that happen? Um, and what should I truly expect? And what signs should I look for when I consider being a part of a community like this? So. Peter is addressing these people, he's giving them some of those ideas, and he's talking to them, saying that they have been born again, that's a, you know, has become a very interesting term, but at the time it was just that you've been, kind of had a spiritual awakening, that you've seen um, who Jesus is, that you have a new start, a new life in Christ. They have a new hope, he said, based on Jesus' resurrection and this eternal life that Jesus has being offered to them. And therefore, they're included and called into something great, called to love, because they look to Jesus, who is like a cornerstone foundation for their faith that showed them a new way to live and to be and given them a power uh, to actually do that. Uh, Peter draws out ideas from the Old Testament that we looked at last week. He compares God's people to a temple and priests 
That is that God's people are, are to be where people encounter the presence of God um, in this world and through whom, uh, a people through whom God exhibits and shares grace with others. And it's a pretty high calling. It's a, it's a really pretty profound thing. And it's not just to be a thing that's experienced in the church. It's for the sake of those who don't yet believe. In the Bible, the, the people of God are all described as the priests of God. So in the Old Testament, there was a, a group that were the priests. And in the New Testament, they're all cast as you are now all of, all of you are the priests. You're part of the kingdom. You're all the priests. So if all of God's people are priests, well, who would they serve? They would serve everyone else, right? They would be pointing to this grace in the midst of their communities, their neighborhoods, their workplaces, everywhere. So that's how it ought to be, um, that believers in God, God's people, should be like have this servant posture where they are delivering grace, exhibiting grace to everybody around them. Um, and, and that's not to say that, that God's people always fit and are always accepted. It's definitely not that. In fact, Peter has said that's not the case, that these people in many ways are, are not at home. We're going to get more into that with time. Um, like a priest is set apart, so God's people are set apart, but they have a calling to bless and bring grace to the lives of others. So the church, God's people, is to be centered on God. That's kind of where the uniqueness comes from. Um, trying to please God, honor God for God's been gracious to them, and then they deeply love and offer that grace to others. It's complicated, it's costly, because love and servanthood requires the laying down of all sorts of demands, and that requires risk, and, it, and it's not easy. It's not a simple call, but it's a beautiful call um, that is very valuable. So, Peter used that analogy. We're, like, we're supposed to be like a temple uh, and priests in the midst of our world. And then he gives us this, this other set of concepts. Uh, and he wrote this, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Priesthood repeats here, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we're going to get into that. That's tonight what we're focusing on is right there. What does that mean? A race, a nation. Um, those are hot button words at the moment. Interestingly, I think we have to acknowledge we carry a lot of interesting thoughts into hearing those words. Um, what, what do they mean? For a moment, I need to remind us that these obviously, right, I, I know this isn't rocket science, but they predate the American conversation on these words by millennia. This is, we have to kind of draw them out and say, okay, we, we can't read them just through our own our own experience. We have to go, what did they mean outside of our experience? They predate the American race conversation, the modern wrestling with things like imperialism and Christian nationalism. They are not our buzzwords, um, but they were very provocative and challenging when they were written. And I think we need, to, we need to see what they were about. I think seeing that is really important. So race in, in this scripture is probably, from what I can gather, in, to this Greek-speaking people, referred more to a sense of family. There are other translations that would, um, that would say here just a people, a people, a chosen people, or a chosen generation. Um, but, but when you really get down into that word, it seems like it probably had something to do with the idea of family. And to them, that was very significant. Um, the idea of having a family that included new people, people of other ethnicities, people of other backgrounds, other cultures, and calling them family was extremely challenging to them. Um, it would have been a very difficult thing to swallow. So as, 
as the word race has baggage for us, family was, was challenging for them to consider. And that's probably more what the, what the word was about, a little less like today's sense of the word race, which might be physical characteristics that define groups. Um, this was more about this connection, like you were coming from a common lineage. That's what Peter means when he says you're a chosen race. Um, you've been chosen and you come from a common lineage. We'll get more into that. Uh, nation, rather than referring to something like a body politic, like we might say now, like you, know, you might, I might say, what nation are you? And you might be like, well, I don't want to be, but I'm American. You might say that. Or maybe you would be like, I am proud to be an American. You might have, but you would say either way, you're like, I'm here in this body politics, so therefore that's what I am. Um, here, that word nation is probably a little more like the concept of community. Now, they, they might have been organized in a community, but they, I think they would have seen it as a community that existed together and had shared interests and motives, maybe not as organized or as defined as you know, the word nation in our conception. Um, so here in the Bible, to say, you are, you are a community with shared interests and motives, but then to say people are going to enter into this by faith in Jesus who are different than you is still extremely challenging. So I have to share interests, I have to share maybe even my own possessions with somebody who's from a completely different background, nationality, maybe, maybe somebody who just travels through, they come to faith, they're gonna enter into my community? That's challenging though it might be a little different than the word that we're used to now. So maybe a better way for us to read it in our day would be a chosen family, a holy community. That doesn't take away the difficulty, but, but it, I think it might be more helpful um, grammatically. Um, and those words bring this concept a little closer to what the Old Testament would say about God's people, and that's important. The Old, the old Testament of the Bible, which, which we often kind of separate from the New Testament. It wasn't meant to be. The New Testament was meant to be um, bringing, bringing about, um, it's, it's the stories of Jesus and how he fulfills what the Old Testament was pointing to, okay? But in the Old Testament, there's the people of Israel. And this is a people um, who were not traditionally a family, not originally. Um, they were declared one. They were chosen. Uh, Abraham, maybe a familiar name, that's patriarch of Judaism, Christianity, and even the Muslim faith. Um, when, you, when you read in the scriptures of all those religions, he seems to be kind of like a random pagan dude um, who God just says, I'm going to make you great. And it, it kind of seems like it's just coming out of nowhere. Uh, why? Why him? Why not somebody else? Um, and he creates through a big covenant, a promise, the family, he just creates it. He says you're gonna have a son, which seems impossible. He says that your, your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the stars of the heavens, which seems crazy. Um, and and they, became, they became a new family, they became a new thing. The, the name Israel is actually, comes from one of his sons who was one of the least faithful of all of them. He was kind of the devious one who had a lot of issues. In fact, the name Israel means those who strive or wrestle with God because this guy whose name was Jacob was one of the most, like, one of the, the roughest faith journeys. And the whole group of them is named after him um, for having a difficult and complicated faith journey. 
Um, and but being belonging to God because God said so, <laughs> and and said, I want you to be near me. I'm going to do this in your life. Um, so they were considered to be part of this um, this race, this family, and. Israel, it grew through that family, but it also grew in another way through what we might call conversion. And that's that people came in and they said, who is your God? They, they might declare that God to them and they would say, I, wanna, I want to follow that God. And they would say, okay, um, if you receive this sign, happened to be circumcision, our favorite word here at Mission Church last year, we oddly talked about it almost every week. It was awkward. But, but if you receive this sign, you can enter in to this community and you become not only, you're not just connected to it, you're actually part of the family is what, is what they said. You become one of us. You become one of, of God's peoples. It's interesting to look at the family tree of Jesus when you flash forward and you see not only that people came in who were really great, you in fact see a lady named Rahab who was a, a foreign prostitute who helped the people of God and then converted in and became part of the family. And she's the lineage in the lineage of Jesus. It's incredible. Um, there's Ruth, a, a woman of Moab who converts in, um, not, as, not from like the, the prostitute background, but she just wants to be a part. She doesn't even seem to necessarily, she, she says to a woman named Naomi, she just said, your God's gonna be my God. It's like she just came on the, on the arm of someone she trusted, said, your God's my God. So not only did people sometimes come around or exist beside, they became part of the family when they, when they followed God with them, okay? That new family was also a holy community. By holy, it means set apart for God's purposes. I know the word holy can, sometimes we think of it as being perfect. Um, but it, it means set aside for God's purposes here. The people of Israel were unique um, because they had a gracious God and a merciful God at the center of their lives and they had, their purpose was reoriented around that God. God was their king. It was a people in which God was their king. And it's important to see that in the New Testament, that same people continues in the, in the church. It's a, it's a people that spread all over the world who would say, ultimately, God is our king. So it's a new family. It's a new community. Um, it started, and the, the scriptures are tracing it all the way back in the Old Testament. It continues in the New Testament it's profoundly um, brought to bear through what Jesus did. I'll explain that a little more. Um, but it's defined because God chose it. The community is defined by God being at the center. Um, I would ask, you know, I, I've thought about this. I look around here and I go, yeah, I have a, I have a deep connection with some of you all um, as, as part of this community. I've, I've walked with some of you through, through marriage, through death through all kinds of stuff in life. You've told me things about yourselves. You've done this with each other. You've shared deep and incredible things. You've, you've wept with each other. You know, why? Why these people, right? What, did you go out and handpick, you know? Like, did you look around and go, you know what? what the Corbin, you know, the guy with the hat. Like, I, I'd like him on my team. And, no, it's, you, there was something about Jesus that, that brought you into this space, like some intrigue, and all of a sudden you find yourself with these people who are also trying to follow Jesus, and God does something incredible through it. So at the center of God's people is, is God, um, God's words, God's work. We, we always come back to 
this table because we're talking about the, the profound like culmination of God's work in Jesus who dies for the evil that we've done but like proclaims that we're part of a beautiful kingdom and, and, we, and we drink wine because he promises that one day there will be a feast when he makes things new. Um, God is at the center of it. So, so for Christians, I wanna, I wanna ask this question, what should we be striving for if this is the case? And if, and if that whole, if you're like, I, I'm just here, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what I believe, I have thoughts for you in a minute of what you should be thinking about this group of people. But for Christians, our identity is to be a people of grace. Um, why do I say that? Isn't it much more, you know, there's, we're people of the Bible, we're people of justice, we're people of truth. And I would say, yes, those are all true, but grace is the door into being part of this people. Grace is the anchor that we return to over and over that, that is what's holding us in place as a people. And grace is the mission that we carry forward. Without grace, we aren't Christians. You take that piece away and we are not what we are. So grace is the door, meaning it's the only way in. Um, specifically, the grace of God given in and through Jesus. Jesus said things that were very controversial, um, such as, I am the door for the sheep. Um, and, and this is, he, he's using a metaphor of like a, a pasture, and he's saying, uh, the people who, who are going to be identified with me have to come in through, they have to, they have to receive me, have to pass through me um, to be a part of this community. Elsewhere, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, so people of truth, yeah, but, but you need to pass that truth through Jesus, through the way that Jesus lived, through the way that he worked, the way that he spoke, and Jesus came um, exhibiting, living, and giving grace. Grace, by the way, means undeserved favor. Um, it means getting something that you could never earn or deserve yourself. It's just given to you. It's just laid upon you because he's good. And this is why Peter here says not just that we're a race, but we're a chosen race, a family of his choosing. What does that mean? Well, consider the alternative. Um, if you're not chosen by God, how would you get in to any religion or group? If, if God didn't come in and say, I want you to be a part of it, how would you get in? You could get in. Um, I mean, just think about maybe like clubs, organizations, religions, right? How do you, you, you get in by, by being the right kind of person? Maybe you pass a test. Maybe there's, uh, you have a family connection. Maybe you know somebody. Um, perhaps you have some inadequacies that would keep you from being in there, but you don't talk about those, and they let you in. Anyway, um, even if it's a religion in which you enlighten yourself or empty yourself, there's a certain emptying or enlightening you have to do, and then you get in. Now, sometimes people get hung up on this word chosen because it feels like exclusive or maybe like we're not in control. But being in a group's always exclusive. Um, like, for example, say I want to be a part of Greenpeace. I say, I want to I be in the group. I want to be in Greenpeace. And, uh, and I go in, and they say, okay, well, tell us about your life. And I say, well, I like to get food at Circle K. And when I buy it, I throw it out the window um, as I drive down the freeway. And I'm also in the, in the business of strip mining. And they go, uh, no. <laughs> You can't be in Greenpeace. Why not? You know, well, because we're about something. We're about caring for the earth. You're not. <laughs> you can't, 
unless you're going to try to stop, you can't do it. Are you going to try to stop? And I go, no. Okay, well then you can't be in unless I, unless I lie. Right? And then I can get in. Every group's exclusive. The question is exclusive based on what? And how does that factor into the group and the mission? Um, if the factor is right living, okay, this is, this is like kind of the idea behind most religious movements. Um, how does that factor in? I mean, to, if you've got to be a, a right living person, you have to either be extremely good before you get in or act like you are. Um, and then once you're in, you have to uphold that standard. And, and I'll tell you what, it always leads to a couple things, a sense of pride and superiority. And, and this is something that we see in our culture constantly. We see groups on different sides of things who are both trying to live right and pointing fingers at each other for the ways that the others don't meet up to their standards. If the factor is the pedigree, the lineage, knowing somebody, then it's just about how you're born or just about chance, right, that you're in. Say you're just born in, um, or it's just by, by pedigree, you just know the right person. Um, then it's, it's kind of unfair. Now, I'm not saying fairness is the big idea, but it, it would literally just be like you just are or you're not. And then everybody that would be out, it would just be like, yeah, you just, you weren't here. If the factor is even ascending to the right beliefs, then the, the most educated or right people, or the, and those who can defend being right, the, the ones who have the most information are in, and everybody else, the fools, are out. And so, unfortunately, that's often how people in churches with crosses on top behave, right? That's often how we behave. But if the only door in is sheer grace, a work of God's power, that, that you're given something you don't deserve at all, um, then it means that we have nothing, that anybody who would find themselves in, say you would go, I, I believe in Jesus, I'm a part of the church, it would mean that it has nothing to do with anything superior in, in myself. Um, it wouldn't be because I came to all the right beliefs myself. It wouldn't be because I worked hard enough to be good enough myself. It wouldn't be because I had the right pedigree or I knew the right people myself. It would be sheerly because God had mercy on me. And what's the effect of that? I'll tell you what it should be, surprise. I love like C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy. Like this idea of just like, why, how, right? Um, or unworthiness, but coupled with gratitude. Um, I think it would be coupled with a desire for others to be with you. Like, I want that for everyone. Um, in other words, humility and gratitude and a desire to share it and invite people into it. That's what it should look like if you see that you're an object of grace. Um, and look, you typically, you receive this choosing of God, or especially the benefits of it, through the work of God's people. Now, I don't, I don't know in whom or how God is working. I, look, I hear some of you, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I have no idea. Um, I don't know, I don't know in, the, in the lives of anybody. I mean, there, there could be somebody I know who's, who just can't stand the name of Jesus, but in 20 years, something's going to change. I don't know. So we just offer. We just offer it out. 
Um, God tends to work through the offering of his people. Every once in a while there's a profound dream or something, but usually it's just his people offering, telling people about the grace and the mercy. I heard a, a rapper uh, that I follow on social media, he was telling this little story, I, ju I just kind of stumbled on it, and he had been handed a rap album as a kid, this is the one, and it was called, yeah, it was called Bloody Streets, and, um, and this guy handed him this album, and it looks, it's, you know, it's like, he actually, this was his words, not mine, he said, it looked like the kind of dude who would rob a store, I was interested. That's what he said. And so he, he listened to this album, and this guy happens to be a Christian. And on track six of this album, he explains what it means to have faith in Jesus. And this dude who is, he said, I loved it because he had dreadlocks like me, and I listened to it, and when I hit the sixth track, I was like, what is, what is this? And he tuned in and started listening and like couldn't shake it out of his mind. And he started, he kept thinking about Jesus. And that was his moment of entering into the faith through the work of this guy. He, this guy was putting it out there. He made a rap album and he was like, I'm gonna tell people about Jesus and, and this kid. And, he, and the rapper, his name's KB now, he said, when I grew up, I made a promise I was gonna give my entire life to making those moments possible. And that's what he does, is he's a rapper like this guy who changed his life, right? Now God worked in him. KB, he would say, God worked in me, God chose me, but he used the work of this man to do it, right? It's both. God's people, we want, we want to see people enter in. We want to see people receive grace, so we offer it. We work. And then God does a work that we could never do ourselves because this guy, didn't. he never even met the guy whose life he changed. A true belief in God's grace sees that God's grace opens the door. It humbles you. It causes gratitude. It activates you to creatively share grace. Uh, grace is the door, but it's also the anchor. Um, this is, in a sense, the, the sermons that we did on the 3rd of July, where we talked about love um, and how this, this love comes from being anchored in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ on a daily basis, because what Jesus did was he comes in and he serves. He gave, he gave us that as a pattern for life. The cross is servanthood. It's him laying down his life in our place. And so since that's the case, the Christian is to meditate on what Christ has done for them and then live out of it on a daily basis. It's not just the way you get in, it's the bread of life. It's why Christians come back to this table every single week. And then it also shapes our joint mission together. The idea of being a holy nation, a Christian community is key for so many reasons, but a huge part of it is the shared mission, the shared aim. A community cares for one another, right? Community takes care of each other, but the Christian community grows by bringing people in that get cared for and bringing more people in that get cared for and bringing in more people and more people. We should speak and live grace-shaped lives that can be observed and invite people in. And this requires being unique. Um, we, we, we must be governed by God to do this. That there's a million clubs out there, right? There's millions of religions out there. We're going to have to be centered on this gracious God to offer anything that's unique. Um, our worship should show it. The way that we eat together should show it. 
the celebrations we, we celebrate should show it. Our lives and our work and everything we do should show that God is at the center, that grace is what's activating us. And then we become a nation among the nations, a tribe among the tribes. Uh, Andrew, who, uh, who's out of town right now, but he gave me a book called Tribe. And this book is, uh, is really interesting because it, it kind of gets into the, the, the needs that people have. It's that book on the left. I'll talk about the other one in a second. But, but Tribe talks about how, how people need a couple things. They need a community that like, is on a shared mission together. He talks about how people in the military you will have this unique bond and that even things like depression will lift when they're working together on something. But he talks about how that's not only the case. People in countries that are being attacked when they are being like destroyed, will have the same effect. They'll bond together. Depression will lift. <laughs> they'll, they'll join together. And sometimes people in even war-torn areas will look back and say, you know what? I would never wish for that war again, but I miss the way that we felt when we were all pulling together, when we were connected, when we had a joint mission, when all the other stuff fell away. And he, he's kind of examining people's need for that kind of community, homecoming and belonging is the, the subtitle there. Um, another book I've been reading lately is this book on resilient people called Grit. These aren't Christian books, by the way. I'm just trying to show you that this stuff, like, you take what we're, we're seeing and how things work in the world and look at the genius of God and what he's doing. Um, in Grit, she's looking at resilient people, people that, that work hard, get things done, and she's saying that one of the things that she's seen is that those people will have one ultimate purpose that stands above all the other things that they do and animates them all and they focus on that ultimate purpose and it carries them through all the challenges they face in whatever they do. Um, and I, I saw that and she talked about how those people, maybe, they're, maybe they have a very disciplinary parent or something like that, but the parent like, shows them this purpose and like, cares for them they can still, they can deal with the discipline when they have the higher vision. In fact, the discipline becomes helpful <laughs> when they have the higher vision. And she's saying you can find that. You don't have to have had the perfect parents to have that. You can find that in another community. And I'm, I'm reading these things. I've read Tribe, I read Grit, and I always think the church can offer this, right? Like we can, and I think in many cases we do. When I've heard Tim Keller's um, his summary of the gospel, which there, he, he's, a, he's a sharp guy, he knows there's a lot to the gospel, but one of his quick summaries is we're more sinful than we dare admit, but we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we'd ever dared hope. I see in that, like, here, here is a high principle that we could all get behind. Here is, if we're all getting behind something like that, we could have this shared purpose and we could become very resilient people with a shared purpose. And that's what grace is offering us. The best aspects of what a family could offer or a community or a tribe, the gospel's offering that to us through grace. Because a community of grace has a unifying vision and a cause behind it. We're part of a kingdom. Um, Christ is king. He's a sacrificial king. Um, everything that causes you to want to be selfish and self-centered is an attack, <laughs> And we want to fight against that. And we want to help each other. And we want to rally. And we want to bring grace to more people. It's, it's a high vision. It's the sharing of good news and light. So grace is the door into the new family and community. Grace is the anchor that keeps us close. Grace is the mission. 
Peter says that this unique family and community, this chosen race, this holy nation does a couple of things. It proclaims the excellencies of God. That's what our scripture said. Proclaims his excellencies. And it tells a story of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just a quick check. I just want to double check if you guys saw. Did it say this community is scared, critical, avoiding confrontation, avoiding other people? It does? No, it didn't. No, nope, it didn't. Um, nope. It proclaims excellencies. It calls people out of darkness into light. We should, we should kind of activate in each other. When we see uh, each other getting afraid, critical, avoiding others, that's when we should come in and go, no, 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 no. We're, we're off kilter. Something's wrong. And only a community that truly knows grace can glorify and proclaim the excellencies of God and tell their stories of moving out of darkness into light. A family built by grace becomes a visible community that exhibits grace to the watching world, telling their stories of grace. And not all churches or cross-laden buildings have this, right? I know that. But the ones who understand grace are the true church. So you should look for that. Now, perhaps you're just considering faith and um, like, why try this? That's, that's the, the question I thought. Well, that's what I'd be asking. Why, why would I try this? There's a million things. Um, there's a million options, right? And I would say this. If it's God's community, just consider this. If, it, if, this, if God's at work here, like take that leap with me for a second. Maybe there's a God. Maybe he's at work. Um, if it's God's community, then this is where you might encounter God in a profound way by encountering people who are encountering God. And what an honor to also be able to be a part of that process in other people's lives. Because guess what? If you enter in as broken as you are, you become part of offering the encounter of God to others. And that, that would be an incredible thing to be a part of. Um, you want to know God and, and encounter him? Um, I would just encourage you, quit waiting for people who are perfect to come along. They don't exist. Um, we are not that, we are flawed. But jump into a community of broken people who are being stirred and drawn in by a perfect God. People who are relying on grace and whose efforts are being bolstered by grace. Jump into something like that. And secondarily, um, if I know that's a big ask, but I'm saying, try it. Um, secondarily, you would probably experience some, some beautiful things. Um, elements of family ties. You know, there's, all of us have our family of origin story, right? And, and some of us have the one that we go, man, I love my parents. And a lot of us are like, whew, it's a little messy, right? And, um, and, but there are deep elements of family ties that come within the people of God. Are these people perfect? No, they're only here because God had grace on them. Like, I just feel like I need to clearly say that. If the door in is grace, you're gonna get a lot of people who are a mess, right? That's just the way it is. But if they're all seeking grace together, you might find a bond that, that is deeper than anything you've ever experienced. I've, I've been to Africa, Australia, Romania, Bahamas, um, just on various trips and have been with Christians who, who are anchoring in the same grace and I've experienced a connection that is profound and comes really quickly. And it's pretty incredible. Um, 
A couple weeks ago, we're in this little church just across the border in Mexico, right? I was in a meeting recently with some Canadians, Koreans, and First Nation folks, and about the only thing we have in common is this belief in grace. But the bond and the level of trust is deep. It happens. It's, it's sweet. There can be a joint sense of community and purpose when you're part of the same transcendent kingdom. But most importantly, I mean, those, those are benefits you could find. And I, I think they happen a lot. But most importantly, God would be there. When you're in a community of grace, when people are receiving grace, God is there. And that's really, I think, which, what we all long for the most. Grace, too, is the great equalizer. Um, God gives it to the rich, to the poor. He, he gives it to those who've lived a squeaky clean uh, life. He gives it to those who are the most crooked-hearted and devious. We see that in the scriptures. Um, we see that, like you might see the Apostle John, young man, good heart, just tries to follow Jesus with everything he's got. Um, and then you've got the Apostle Paul, you know, who, who was self-righteous to the core, thought he was better than everybody. And, and in his quest for being right, he would kill. And Jesus comes along and transforms him, right? It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. If you're given grace, you're as in as anyone else. So if, there's, if you ever have the thought, like, can I be, can I be in? Yes. <laughs> you can. It's that simple. It's grace. Nothing in you has anything to do with the conversation. If God gives you grace, you're in. But it's also true that it leaves no one unexamined. Our hearts resist grace uh, because grace means we have to lay down our rights you, by, by accepting grace, you're laying down your claims to be the good one or the competent one. Sometimes there are sins we love deeply that to receive this grace, we have to like go, well, I can't love both, right? Even strangely, sometimes we can hold on to that sense of being broken and imperfect rather than receiving who God says that we are, that we are his son or daughter and we are accepted, it requires letting go of some things that can kind of be our crutches that we hold on to and depend on. It challenges everyone. It lifts everyone up, but it challenges everyone because it's of God. So how do you get in? It's quite simple. Do you get a sense, do any of you get a sense, Christian or not, that God's kind of after you, pestering you sometimes? Um, involved in your life, that you think about it, that your heart kind of opens up to something sometimes, God's probably after you. And what do you do? What do you do with that? Well, here's what I'd suggest. Be open to receiving it. Look to Jesus. Look to, look to Jesus. Or read about his life. Try talking to him. Try prayer. Just say, show me who you are. Just open yourself. If you're God, if you're there, do what you want with my life. That's a scary thing to say. But if it's God you're talking to, and if God is gracious, that might be the most liberating prayer you might ever pray. 
I'd recommend you, you try letting go of some demands and claims because what's worth losing your soul, right? Jesus asked that question. What, what if you gained everything in the world? What if you got it all, everything that you wanted? Maybe it's wealth, maybe it's prestige, or maybe it's that you never bowed the knee to anybody, right? What if you got that? But, but you didn't know God. What's worth it? Probably nothing. Maybe try letting it go. But don't do it to be good. Do it to be known, to know God and to be known. Um, do it because you want to experience grace. You want to know what it's like and how it could change you. Um, the invitation here is to receive grace. I think for Christians, that's the call constantly. It's not like a one-time. It is how you get in, but it's the thing you come back to every day, receive it. And then when you receive it, let it shape you and let it carry out into your lives. Be a, be a deliverer of grace. Share it. Give people what they don't deserve because that's what Jesus has done for you. This is why Christians worship by hearing God's words, but mostly by receiving his grace. And we receive it by opening our hands as we open our hearts. We let him serve us through the work of his son, Jesus, and that allows God to change us and to transform us into the people that, that can really know him and transform the world. Can he really accomplish it? Is it possible? Well, the scriptures tell us he died in our place, and they say a pretty unbelievable thing. He rose from the dead. If he overcame our darkest elements, our sins, by dying in our place, sin is anytime you, you do anything that's imperfect. Do you ever get an aching sense that you're not enough, that you don't do enough? That's, you know you have sin. And Jesus died for that. But if he defeated our greatest enemy, the, the death that limits our lives and stands and, and that we're afraid of, if he, if he could overcome that, then he can overcome that stuff in your heart. I know it's hard to believe, but if it's God, it's possible. There's hope. So the invitation is to receive him by faith. I'm going to take some time here. There's going to be a two-minute break for silence. And this is just a time for all of us um, as we kind of prepare for more singing together, but especially for this table that was set by Jesus. Um, for some of you, you might just need to wrestle with this. You could try prayer. Um, for others of us, uh, this might be a time where we just come back to this basic principle, I've been given grace. God, help me to be shaped by your grace. And then if you're able to say, even just a little bit, like I, I, wanna, I wanna believe this, um, if you could say that to Jesus, if you just can even just offer him the little, uh, Jesus said, mustard seed of faith that just says, I'll open my heart, you can come and receive what he offers. Um, and what he offers is what's here at this table. On the night he's betrayed, he takes bread. It's the night he was betrayed. That's what we do. That's our sins. We, we betray him. We don't, we're not faithful to him. Even his disciples weren't. And on that very night, he took bread from a table that was deeply significant in the Old Testament. It was deeply significant to the people of God. And he took it and he broke it and he said, now the significance of this is this is my body broken for you. And then he took wine from the table, also deeply significant to them. Um, and he said, 
This is a new promise, and it's anchored in my blood. It's for the forgiveness of sins for many. He also told us, someday I'm going to drink this anew with you in my kingdom, which means I'm going to carry you all the way through. I'm going to meet the longings of your heart, and I'll be there. So, believers, you come with open hands. You let go of whatever you hold on to for your righteousness, and you receive Jesus. And then as you walk away from this table, consider it your sending, taking grace out into the world. This time is for you to pray and just ponder these things. Um, after two minutes, the music will start, and I'll be up here to serve the Lord's Supper. All are welcome in Christ. Father, as we take this silent time to pray, I pray that you would open our hearts. Those of us who've been around for years and years and years, our hearts become callous. We forget how profound your grace really is. We forget that being this chosen race is not, doesn't mean that, you know, oh, we're, we're special um, or we're, we're better. It means you've been extremely generous. It means you've loved us enough, you've made us a part of your family because Jesus is the son of God, we become sons and daughters through his righteousness. What a, what a profound mystery. But how it, it enlightens our hearts and gives us hope. I pray that for those of us who are just contemplating these things, that you'd open the eyes of our hearts. Sometimes our hearts can be kind of like a rock, like nothing can get in there. But soften them. Help us to see who you are, to sense your presence and to be able to receive the grace that you're offering to us. As we pray, thank you that you are merciful and compassionate. You're the safest place for us to admit our deepest sins because you're ready to forgive. You already know the truth about us, but you're full of mercy, and thank you. So lead us now as we pray.